It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com, on drmarakarpel.com, and now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, August the 8th, 2021, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from beautiful and hot Austin, Texas. And I hope you're enjoying your summer and staying safe and cool wherever you are. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual. And we have another great program in store for you this evening. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined from right here in Austin, Texas, by Dr. Kristen Neff, Associate Professor in Educational Psychology at University of Texas at Austin, co-founder of the Nonprofit Center for Mindfulness, Mindful Self-Compassion, and, and author. And she's joining us to discuss her latest book, Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. And then later in the show, we have musician Errol Wander joining us from New York to talk about his passion in music and how he stayed connected with it even during the pandemic the lockdown, and throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guests. And my email address is Dr. Mara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website later tonight, and any important website links will be posted along with the podcast on my website, drmarakarpel.com. And you can also hear it in in five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by amightygoodtime.com. Wondering what to do after 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtually, anything can be found to fill your day with others that are in your age group. So be more active and start filling your days. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right. We're going to take a brief break. We're going to play a couple more of our sponsors' commercials, but it'll be very brief. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Dr. Kristen Neff. On Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors.
about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years, specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia. Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone from right here in Austin, Texas, we have Dr. Kristen Neff, Associate Professor in Educational Psychology at University of Texas, Austin. And she is the author of the book, Fierce Self-Compassion. Welcome, Kristen. Oh, thank you for having me. Nice to talk with you. you Thank you so much for joining us. I just want to mention before we go further, there's a slight delay. Sometimes that can throw people off if they don't don't know that. And I want the listeners to know that too. So if we talk over each other, they understand why. Um, I'm I'm so excited to have you here on the program, Kristen. I've had your workbook, the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, for a while. And I recently listened to the audio book of Fierce Self-Compassion and loved it so much I also downloaded it on Kindle so that I could find all of the different meditations in it and follow along. And um, and I've, I've seen your interviews with Tara Brock and several others, so I'm really excited to have you here. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so... Um, why don't we start with a little bit about your background before we jump into what fear self-compassion is about? Well, um, I'm an associate professor at UT Austin, uh, and I first learned about self-compassion when I was in graduate school at UC Berkeley about 25 years ago, and I was going through a real hard time in my life, and I learned about self-compassion when I learned mindfulness meditation, and it really just radically changed my life. And uh, it it made such a big difference that I not only decided to do research on it, I really have made it my life's work. And it's my mission in life to spread the good word, so to speak, because it makes such a powerful difference in people's happiness and ability to cope with the uh, difficulty of life. And I guess your your main thing is doing research on this at, at UT, is that right? Well, um, doing research, but even more particularly the last 10 years or so, is I've developed a training program to teach self-compassion called Mindful Self-Compassion. So, I, mm-hmm. so I'm working on this training program, and we train teachers to teach the program, and I give a lot of workshops. So I do do research, but at this point, I'm even more – I'm convinced that it works. <laughs> now what I'd really right. like to do is help people be more self-compassionate. Yeah. So, so what what's the difference between self compassion and self care? We hear a lot about self care, right? So, so self compassion by definition. So, the word compassion is um, concerned with the alleviation of suffering. 
So this might be emotional suffering and emotional distress as, a, as well as maybe physical distress. Self-care is really doing behaviors that help you in some way, you know, getting rest, eating well, visiting with friends. Um, but it doesn't necessarily involve things like accepting the fact that you're imperfect and loving yourself anyway, right, or mm-hmm. um, giving yourself soothing and comfort when you're upset or maybe motivating yourself to make a change that's going to help you in some way. So they're overlapping, but um, self-care takes time. Self-compassion doesn't really take time. It's more just a mindset, um, a, a, help, a healthy, productive mindset toward yourself when you're struggling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've spoken about this, and, and I know that it's true that the things that we say to ourselves sometimes are, are just, so horrible they're worse than anything that we might say to even someone we don't like Um, and and it's really counterproductive I mean ironically we often are harsh with ourselves because we think we're helping but that somehow we'll shame ourselves into taking action doing better next time but really harsh self-criticism just makes us nervous it makes us afraid of failure Um, it's hard to learn when you're full of shame Whereas self-compassion, you might use constructive criticism to say, okay, this is where it didn't work out so well. What might I do differently next time? But because you accept yourself, you're, you're actually more able to make the changes you want to in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that kind of goes along with the whole idea of, like, self, you know, people who are very high achieving, um, feel like they have to be really hard on themselves all the time. And I know I was really interested in, in listening to your book about how the research has shown that that doesn't work. Right. Well, I mean, it kind of works. I mean, there are people okay. who've gotten through med school or law school through harsh criticism, but what it does is it makes you depressed, it makes you anxious, it gives you high blood pressure, right? It gives you stress, which actually undermines your ability to achieve. So you might say that self-compassion works much more effectively. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's actually a more, a more efficient way to reach your goals than harsh criticism, which just undermines you emotionally. Right, right. Okay. So, so what is fierce self-compassion? How is so that my, my latest, yeah, so my latest work talks about both fierce and tender self-compassion. These are really two sides of trying to care for ourselves. So tender self-compassion is more of an accepting, nurturing energy. So we may accept that we're imperfect or, you know, hold ourselves with kindness and warmth when we're sad or afraid. Um, and, and that's a really important part of self-compassion, but it's not the I mean, self-acceptance is not the only way to be self-compassionate. Actually, sometimes we need to take action. So, for instance, maybe we need to stand up for ourselves. Maybe someone's being a bully or crossing our boundaries, and self-compassion is saying, no, you can't do that. Or maybe we need to take action to meet our needs, you know, to say no to others and say, hey, this is really important to me. I deserve the time and attention and energy that it's going to take for me to be happy. And also motivating change. So I like to call this fierce self-compassion because it's like it's like mama bear self-compassion. You know, sometimes it's gentle uh-huh. mother, sometimes it's fierce mama bear. But both are ways of really caring for ourselves, um, and we need we need both to be whole and healthy. 
Mm-hmm. So I know the second part of the title of the book is how women can harness kindness to speak up, claim their power, and thrive. So why do you? Why is it so important to direct this toward women in particular? So everyone needs self-compassion. Everyone needs both fierce and tender self-compassion, right, acceptance and action. The problem is, is that gender role socialization makes it hard for men and women in different ways. So men, they're encouraged to be fierce. You know, people like like it when men get angry, for instance, or when they're powerful and competent. But they don't like men who are tender or soft in any way. They, they call them names. Uh, and the same uh-huh. is true with women in the opposite direction, right? So women are allowed to be tender, especially toward others, but they aren't allowed to be fierce, take action, get angry, or, or be really competent. So the book's aimed at women to really... Cl- correct this imbalance by emphasizing fierce self-compassion for a woman. I'd have to write, you know, a book for men called like tender self-compassion. How men can harness vulnerability to be whole, something like that. It's just the the, the way we're imbalanced is slightly different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I've noticed, Kristen, that over the years as I've become a little bit stronger with my voice and standing up for myself, that um, so many people have asked me, why are you so angry? When yes. in actuality, I wasn't even angry at the times that I, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't necessarily angry. Um, yeah, well, people don't like women who stand up for themselves. People don't like women who, say, who draw boundaries <laughs> and say no. And if you think about why historically, that's because, I mean, you know, to really hold up the patriarchy, women have to be soft and gentle and submissive. And that's one of the things self-compassion gives us is this idea of, well, you actually may not like me if I assert my voice, but I like myself, right? It's not like we don't care about other people, but we aren't totally dependent on the approval of others for our own happiness. And this gives us the freedom to stand up for ourselves and say no which we absolutely need to do, right? We, mm-hmm. we, need, mm-hmm. we need to make changes in our society. And women need to be able to get angry. You know, we don't want to harm others with our anger, but the Me Too movement, for instance, this is, this is an act of compassion. This is an act of women saying, no, it's not okay. We need to protect ourselves. We need to care for ourselves by saying this behavior isn't acceptable. So there's a role for anger for, for men and women. Again, constructive, not destructive anger. Um, but we mm-hmm. need to be able to own that and honor that. So, so how do we how do we deal with that pressure? Because you know, there's a lot of pressure, um, especially when people try to you know shame a woman for speaking out. How how do we maintain that? Fear self compassion, so we do it in spite of it. Well, it is a practice, right? We have to do it intentionally. You know, so in my book, I've developed a lot of practices and exercises and meditations for us to develop these two energies. Sometimes I refer to them as yin and yang, and I like the yin and yang metaphor because we know it's about balance. The yin and yang symbol, it's balance between the two. And so we need to to make it a practice. It's not easy. But on the other hand, it's not easy. Our current situation isn't easy either. The fact that we've got to suppress our mm-hmm. voice and stifle our stifle our disgruntledness or, you know, whatever it is. Life isn't easy. 
And so what self-compassion is, it's a tool to help us handle the difficulty of life more effectively right? and, and to get through hard times with more strength and resilience. And so it helps mm-hmm. both emotionally, but also for things like helping us uh, energi- have the energy to stand up for ourselves. Um, but right. yeah, it's uh, not easy being a human being, <laughs> but that's okay. It's interesting. <laughs> that's right. And I kind of picture it as, you know, the way that one might use it would be to, you know, harness that mama bear and stand up for ourselves. And then when people strike back and call us names and anger, an angry woman, then that would be the time to maybe use some of that tender self-compassion to say, hey, it's okay, I'm all right. Does that right. sound right? Yes, yes. So for for in, when someone's harming us, for instance, there is the, the fierce mom of their energy of standing up for ourselves. But we also need to tend to our wound, <laughs> right? So that's why we, we uh-huh. always need both. So the more gentle, accepting energy, which is um, more calming and reassuring and soothing. But the thing, the reason I emphasize it is people don't realize that fierce mama bear energy is a key part of caring for ourselves. People think that self-compassion is weak. It's not weak, right? Again, it can be this really empowering force that helps us um, know our own worth and value and help us be willing to fight for ourselves, fight for our rights, fight for equal treatment. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. so really to be whole and authentic and complete, we do need both. And we have to intentionally practice them. Mm-hmm. You know, I know um, women tend to be caregivers in our society, and, and, I, and I believe there are a lot of caregivers who actually listen to this program. And you had a whole section about caregiving in your book, and it was interesting because I was in New York visiting my 92-year-old mother um, when I was listen, listening to that that chapter, and it really um, resonated with me at that moment. It was like, wow, I really needed to hear that right now. Um, yes, uh, and again, it's it's hard for everyone, but that's another way women are especially burdened because we are we are um, raised to be the caregivers for others, but not ourselves. Women are told it's selfish to care for ourselves, right? So self-compassion doesn't mean putting your own needs first. It just means not putting them last either, right? So my research shows that with self-compassion, we balance our own needs with those of others. Because what happens is when we give and we give and we give, eventually our cup runneth dry, right? We, we become exhausted, we, come, we become burned out, and we don't have resources to give to others. And so with self-compassion, by acknowledging the pain of being a caregiver, by taking the time we need for ourselves, by emotionally validating the difficulty of being a caregiver, you know, it's hard to, whether it's your elderly parents or your child, really being there for ourselves emotionally, the more we can do that, actually the more emotional resources we have available to give to others. So, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. For, for instance, uh, professional caregivers, nurses and doctors who are more self-compassionate, they're less likely to burn out on the job because self-compassion is a resource. Um, right. So it's, it's really important for caregivers to practice self-care, not just in terms of behaviors, you know, time. That, that's really important but also to emotionally validate and care for themselves. So the pain and exhaustion of, of being a caregiver, very, very important. 
Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the books out there, caregivers, have to do with the self-care portion, like finding yes. time to take care of yourself. But they you may don't not get have into time. a lot of That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also drawing boundaries is an important part of it as well, um, especially for women because we are valued for saying yes to others' needs and we're, we're liked and valued for being helpful and for being you know, good mothers, good daughters, good, good parents, what, whatever it is. Um, part of self-compassion is saying, hey, my needs count too, right? And someone may not like me as much if I say no to their request. But I need to be true mm-hmm. to myself. And again, it's not, it's not like my way or the highway, but we need to include ourselves in the circle of compassion in order for us to be authentic and to be happy. Right? And, so, and the more free we are from the approval of others, the more we can meet our own needs for a sense of worth and value and care, then actually the more able we are to make wise decisions for ourselves, which ultimately helps others because, again, we have more resources to be there for others when we meet our own needs. So it's a win-win situation. I noticed that a lot of caregivers, um, and including myself at times, um, deal with a lot of guilt when they take time, when we take time for ourselves or we put, you know, we don't jump at the, and say yes immediately. (laughs) Yes, yeah, right. And it, it is guilt. And that's, it's interesting that our society has set up that system. You know, well, isn't that convenient? <laughs> that a certain, certain class of people feel guilty if they aren't meeting everyone else's needs, right? And so that is part of self-compassion is saying, hey, my needs count too. Now, listen, I have an autistic son, right? And he, he takes a lot of care. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, and of course you do it, you can, and he is my first priority. But as I am caring for him, for instance, when he was younger, you know, I, I didn't have time to do all the things I wanted to do. So I would care for myself as I was caring for my son, right? He might be having a terrible tantrum, and I would be there emotionally for myself. I'd validate how hard it was. You know, I'd give myself some appreciation. I'd give myself some warmth. Um, I would really feel like I was supporting myself as I was dealing with, you know, his difficult behaviors, and it really made a world of difference. I don't know how I, how I would have gotten through otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's not mm-hmm. either or. It's something we can do as we're caring for others. Right. I think that's a really good point because, as you said, caregivers don't often have time. Um, yes. So and that may be the reality, to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it kind of has to be simultaneous, Right. Um, right. But but it is funny. One of the things my fierce self-compassion practice has given me is the ability to draw boundaries. So when people ask me I don't know, to give a talk or to do something, I feel really comfortable now saying, I'm sorry, I would love to help, but I need to care for myself, you know, and I need to say no. And what's interesting is once you start doing that, you, you're modeling the behavior. And you, often the reaction is, oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Maybe, I, maybe that means that I can also say no. And I need to take care of myself. Mm. So we, we need to, it's all a matter of balance. Um, and, and often we're unbalanced and, and we can't sustain giving to others when we're exhausted and, and when we're burned out. So it mm-hmm. makes sense to care mm-hmm. for ourselves. Yeah. So do you have any um, 
quick tips for listeners that they're, you know, trying to find a way to have more self-compassion or, or set boundaries with people and they just don't know how to do it? Yeah, so um, well, so one way to figure out what it looks like or feels like or sounds like to be self-compassionate is to um, ask yourself, what would I say to a good friend I cared about in the same situation I'm in? So I don't know, maybe you got a bad work report or, you know, having some real struggle. And the way we talk to ourselves, we usually wouldn't speak that way to a friend. So by imagining what you would say to a friend, or maybe imagining what a really good friend would say to you. Right? So we have, we have the template for being compassionate. Most of us have grown up to be good friends to others. So we can draw on that template. That really helps. Um, physical touch is also really an easy way to give ourselves compassion because as mammals uh, and as, as infants, we're actually designed through evolution to respond to warm, caring touch as a signal of care. So putting your hands on your heart, right, or maybe giving yourself a little hug or even holding your own hand, you can actually calm your body down first. You're working with the nervous system. You calm your body down first, and then your your mind can follow. So so those are um, a couple easy tips, right? But we, you mm-hmm. just have to re- remember to do it. It's actually not hard. It's not rocket science. It's that we aren't told that it's a good thing to do, and it's not habitual for us. Um, some right. some people I know like have little sticky notes around their apartment. You know, remember self compassion just to get have that little visual reminder. Oh yeah, that's right. I can try a different way of being with myself. Mhm, mhm. That's a good idea. I'm gonna try that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so tell us a little bit about the Center for Mindful Self Compassion. What is what is that? Yeah, so that's a nonprofit institute that I founded about 10 years ago with my colleague Chris Germer. And this is really the training arm of what I do. So we developed um, uh, an eight-week program called Mindful Self-Compassion, which you can take online at the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. And they offer uh, a lot of workshops. For instance, I'm actually teaching a fierce self-compassion workshop in September, Sue them online. Uh, it's interesting when the pandemic hit, you know, we used to do most of our training in person and now we're doing almost all of it online and it's actually still really effective and a lot more people um, are able to make it because it's online. So if you want to take some self-compassion training, if you go to centerformsc.org, you can find a lot of opportunities there. Okay. Centerformsc.org.org. <clears throat> yes. And if you go to my website, also, you can link to it from my website. If you Google self-compassion, you'll find me, and I have a link to them as well. Okay. And and I'll post that on my website on my post about this show later tonight, so people can go right there and just click on it. Um, Thanks. Yeah, and and I guess that that also kind of answers the question of how people can find out more about you and the center and about your book. Yeah, yeah. Again, so, if, you know, I got in early. I was really one of the first people to write about this. So if you type in self-compassion, Google takes you straight to my website. And I've got um, 
a self-compassion test that I developed that I use in research. You can test your own level of self-compassion. I have a lot of guided audio practices that you can listen to. Um, if you're a research nerd, I've got like hundreds of actual PDFs of research studies on my site. So I have a lot of uh, free resources, and it's a really good place to start. Great. Great. So, again, I'm, and I know in your book, Compassion, you have a lot of um, meditations to do. That's why I downloaded it to Kindle so I could follow. It was hard. I was on the treadmill listening to the audiobook. So yes, I had to. Yeah. <laughs> And then so yeah and so I've I've so I didn't read the audio book because um I'm not it's actually really exhausting to to read the entire book, um but I I have recorded the the practices from the book on my website so you can find them all at selfcompassion.org oh, if you're interested. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do that. <clears throat> and that's in your voice. That's in my voice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for being on the program. I think this is such an important topic, and I, I you know, um, we really need to be more compassionate with ourselves and also at the same time stand up for ourselves. And I'm, I'm glad to see the movement building on that, and, and you are really helping with that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I, and I appreciate the opportunity to Spread the word to your listeners. I mean, it's like we have this superpower in our back pocket. You know, the ability to be kind to ourselves makes it so much easier to get through the difficulty of life. We don't even know it's there. So mm-hmm. um, the more people can learn about it, the better. That's right. Well, thanks so much. And um, and you have a good evening. Thank you. You too. All right. Nice All right. talking thanks. to you. Bye. Same here. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Merrick Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Merrick Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And before we go to our musician, Errol Wander, I want to talk just a little bit um, in just a couple of brief um, thoughts um, to continue with the discussion I've been having over the weeks about getting back to our passion after this uh, long time of being on lockdown or being feeling like we're standing still. And um, 
I think this part, this really relates to what Dr. Neff was just talking about with self-compassion. And that is that when we are um, heading towards our goals and on the path toward our passion, we really need to have a, a, a mindset that we are doing this for the joy of the journey and not be attached to the outcome. Because if we're attached to the outcome, then we can be very disappointed. And we have wasted all this time in just enjoying the time that it takes to get there. And part of that joy in the journey is having self-compassion and not being too hard on ourselves. Um, as Dr. Neff was talking about, the research shows that if you are really hard on yourself, then you might achieve your goals, but you might also um, are anxious. And that's not, um, that's not the idea of following your passion. And, the other part of that is we don't really know if we're going to achieve our goals. A lot of times we don't, or what we do achieve looks different than what we had set out to achieve. And if we're just open to what the outcome will be, then we will appreciate the journey, um, all of the twists and turns, all the people that we meet and the experiences that we have, and whatever the outcome happens to be. So it's really an important part of it is not being attached to the journey um, and not being attached to the outcome and just enjoying the journey. And I think that really fits. I wanted to talk about that in particular today because I think that really fits with um, the self-compassion that Dr. Neff was just talking about. All right. So on that note, we're going to go to the music of our next guest. Um, Errol Wander, who is joining us from New York, and he's going to talk about his passion and how he stayed on the path of passion even during uh, the lockdown that affected a lot of musicians on this during this time. So now it's the music.
All right, and we are back. And if you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining me on the phone from New York is musician Erowanda. We were just listening to his music. Welcome, Errol. Hey there, Mara. How you doing? Great. How are things going in New York? You know, things are really good, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's, I'm very happy to have you on. And, you know, uh, just for uh, to let the audience know, Errol and I were both went to the same high school and same college undergraduate. And, Errol, you, you were in the band with me, weren't you? Were we in the band at the same time? Yes. Yeah, I played uh, alto sax in the band. That's right. That's what I thought. So, yeah. <laughs> so... What have you been doing since high school? <laughs> well, <laughs> you have the last uh, 40 years gone. Right. Well, um, I mean, I stayed connected to music. Uh, you know, I I always wanted to. I, I didn't ever want to be someone that said I used to play music. So I made sure to continue to play it, whether or not it was on a professional level or not. And, uh, you know, then by chance, uh, I wound up in a career that uh, deals with uh, entertainers and musicians on the financial side. So I really got to, um, you know, I get to work in the entertainment field on a daily basis and continue to play music, uh, you know, really as a fulfilling thing uh, when I'm not, uh, when I'm not working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was thinking about what you said about outcomes. And, um, you know, I think, you know, for me, I, I didn't want to do music as some post-retirement, uh, you know, project. Like, I want to be doing it all the time. Uh, as you said, the, the journey, you know, not with necessarily a goal in mind, but, you know, again, music for me is just uh, is always such a, a rewarding thing. So I want to keep it in my life at all times and, uh, again, not make it some sort of a, you know, future project. Mm-hmm, hmm So I know you and I had a conversation a few weeks ago about, I know, how the pandemic uh, really affected things because you were, you know, performing and then it kind of, everything got shut down. Um, how did you keep your passion going and, and music during that time? Well, I, first of all, I would want to preface this by saying that so many people suffered during the pandemic in so many ways, uh, you know, in health ways and financially. So mm-hmm. I really consider myself fortunate that, that I, you know, I didn't suffer in that way, uh, but, but was affected, uh, you know, on a professional level, uh, the clients that I deal with are touring musicians, they're actors, they're, uh, they work in the fashion industry, and all those industries shut down. And as, you know, not only did, did they uh, have a loss of work, but they needed people like myself uh, more than ever because I'm, I'm a business manager and a CPA. So it mm-hmm. was a time of a, a lot of work and learning about all the CARES Act programs and, you know, the ways of, again, just trying to keep things going for people that suddenly had everything pulled out from under them. 
And then as far as the, my outlet, which is to play live music with the bands that I'm in, that was gone too. Uh, you know, I, I play uh, in a band called Soulshine at Rockaway Beach, and I have another band called Thompson Street, and we lost all our shows. So part of what we just listened to, the, uh, and I appreciate you playing that, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. was a discovery that uh, during the pandemic, uh, you know, as we know, Zoom technology and, and uh, remote technology became more uh, front and center during the pandemic. And it was true for musicians, too. Musicians were finding ways to, uh, to sometimes play with each other remotely. Uh, and I found this app that allowed me to play multiple instruments and multiple tracks uh, uh, for my, you know, for music, both covers and uh, and original music. So that was really uh, something that I was able to focus on and and in my spare time, uh, you know, make these uh, these recordings. Uh, and it was it was another mm-hmm. way of like reaching out to people, you know, because people who couldn't come to see us could now uh, watch these things that I was posting on uh, social media. Well, you know, in fact, that's how I discovered your music because I'm all the way here in Texas and we're on on Facebook and I started watching your YouTube videos of you playing all these different instruments with yourself. Right. Uh, That was so cool. No, I appreciate that, and and you know the the feedback that you get on social media is uh, is pretty nice as well. So uh, you know, once I was getting that positive feedback, uh, I just kept doing it, and uh, uh, you know it um, it really gave me a chance to explore all different types of of music, and uh, you know I know the, the fans of of uh, our bands. Uh, I was trying to touch some of some of those genres, and uh, but then I started to uh, do original music as well. So what we just played was that that was an original song, right? Yes. Was that "Keep Your Fork"? Mm-hmm. Can can you can you talk to us about that a little bit? Sure. Right. So I went uh, about ten twelve years ago. A woman I worked with passed away and at her funeral they told a story about how she asked to be buried with a fork in her hand which is a very seems like a very odd request but they went on to tell a story uh, that uh, it's called keep your fork you can find it if you look for it and it's a story of a young woman who knows that she's passing away and makes this request that uh, she be buried with a fork in her hand and the reason for that is that uh, when you go to a function and they tell you to keep your fork, they're basically saying that dinner's over, but dessert is on the way, and mm-hmm. meaning the best is yet to come. So the you know the the story is basically supposed to be an uplifting view of what happens afterwards. That it's not over, but in fact that there's still you know the best is yet to come, and that's I guess really a statement of faith that, uh, you know, that everything's going to be okay. Right. So, right. So, so that really inspired me to write this piece about 10, 12 years ago. Then, uh, earlier this year, uh, a couple of years ago, I lost, uh, one of my best friends and a guy I played music with for over 40 years named mm. Pat Morgan. 
And his wife gave me uh, a dulcimer that belonged to him. So I thought it would be very fitting to record the song and use the dulcimer that was Pat's. Uh, so on mm. this track that you just listened to, I'm playing acoustic guitar, bass, and, uh, and Pat's dulcimer. So that's, uh, that's the Keep Your Fork story. That's very cool. That's very cool. So we're going to play another one of your songs. The other, the other one you sent is Silent Miles. Um, before we play it this time, um, can you tell us about it? Sure. So Miles Davis passed away in 1991, and uh, he was, I'm sure, you know, one of the great innovators uh, in music mm-hmm. history and uh, uh, certainly a big admirer. So I wrote this song that is uh, that refers to a piece that he wrote called "In a Silent Way," and so I, I named it "Silent Miles," which is somewhat of a double entendre as Miles passed away and therefore would be silent going forward. But um, yeah, I was just very inspired by him, and uh, like I said, it's, it's a it's uh, it refers to this uh, to that piece uh, in the in the piece we're about to listen to, and I uh, I played alto sax and soprano sax and guitar and bass on this one. Okay, all right. So so stick around. Don't hang up. We're gonna play some of that song and we'll come back for a couple more minutes to talk. Okay. Sounds great. All right. Thank you. 
right. That was really that was really cool. So, um, thank you. So, Errol, have you ever before the pandemic did you ever record make a recording where you played all the instruments before? Uh, no, I really didn't have the means to to do that. So uh, it was all just about live music, uh, and so uh, yeah, it really, like I said, this discovery of this app uh, really opened that door. Yeah, that's great. So you know, in some ways, the uh, I guess necessity is the mother of invention, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> find a way. Exactly. That's great. So, so are you performing again uh, live? Yes, so uh, starting last year, we started to play uh, outdoor shows, and uh, now we're playing uh, indoor shows as well. So we just played last night, and we're going to continue to play. So it's uh, it, it's really nice to have it back. And is that mainly in Rockaway, Rockaway Beach? It is mainly in Rockaway, yeah. We're, uh, we're going to do an outdoor sort of a festival that we've created uh, you know, our band's called Soul Shine, and so we call it, we're calling this festival Shine Fest, and we're going to have a bunch of bands. We're going to play on the boardwalk uh, at 94th Street in Rockway Beach. And uh, wow. we're really, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Cool. The old neighborhood. The old neighborhood, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, if listeners are interested in, you know, number one, if they're in New York and they want to go see you play, um, where you're playing and when, or if they're interested in watching these really cool YouTube videos that you have, you know, online that people can watch from anywhere, um, what what are the best ways for them to do that? The videos on YouTube are under uh, the name... Uh, Merle, as in Merle Haggard. Uh, so it's M E R L E 21107. So if you search for M E R L E 21107, Merle 21107 on YouTube, uh, all my videos are there. As far uh-huh. as uh, the band, the band is Soulshine. It's spelled S O L S H Y N E. And uh, you could find us on uh, Facebook, I think is the best way. And uh, we'll be playing shows uh, on the boardwalk. We have uh, three more shows scheduled uh, in the next three, four weeks, uh, including one on Labor Day weekend. And uh, come on down. We'd love to see you. Cool. All right. I'll see that on my website post about this show. So if people didn't get to write it down right away, they could go there later, and it'll be there later tonight. Um, Great. So thank you so much, Errol, for being on the program, and I'm glad that you're getting back to playing with your band again. Um, good luck to you with that. I hope everything stays open. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we're, hope, we're all hoping the same. So, uh, well, yes. thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it, Mara. All right. Well, you take care now, okay, and have a good evening. All right, you do the same. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, we have come to the end of another program, and before we get...
cut off the air, let me let you know what's coming up next week. Um, next Sunday, August 15th, we'll be back live from Austin, Texas, and we'll be joined from right here in Austin once again by musician, author, yoga, meditation teacher, and interfaith minister, Reverend Good John Bergman. And this time he is here to discuss his latest book, Monk of All Faiths. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show, get those website links that I talked about, that my guests talked about on the program, um, go to my website later this evening. All of that will be posted later this evening at drmaricarpel.com. And you can also hear this program in five minutes from now by going directly to blogtalkradio.com. B-L-O-G-TalkRadio.com slash Your Golden Years. And you can also hear it on Apple Podcasts in about five minutes. And be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, for upcoming shows and any upcoming events. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. And special thanks to my guests, Dr. Kristen Neff and Errol Wander. And of course, thank you to Art. And thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 